Let's turn over to Psalm 68, just to begin the the sermon, introduce the, the topic at hand. Psalm 68, verse 19. Psalm 68, verse 19, says, Blessed be the Eternal, who daily loads us. And there are those say that it says with benefits, they are in italics, not part of the original script, but they, who daily watches over us, provides for us, the God of our salvation. And so let's turn over to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And there's a similar phrase and note to us. Psalm 103, we'll read verses 1 through 5. And we'll focus on one of those in a moment. It says, Bless the Eternal, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We, we sing this, this particular psalm. Bless the Eternal, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I won't go any further, but if you read all the way through verse 18, there is a whole host of blessings or benefits that God gives to us. And I would like to go back and focus on one in getting into the sermon. Verse 2. It says, Bless the Eternal, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And we can think about all the things that God does for us. And it's, again, these verses 1 through 18, there's a, a list of quite a few. We talk about protection and security that God provides for us. We have food. We have shelter. God provides for those physical things we need. We look around. We have friends. We have brethren, uh, people that are close to us. And, of course, we're opening our Bibles because we understand this Bible that God has given us as a way of life, and it's it's a privilege to understand that. It's one of the great benefits. And, of course, this understanding that he gives us, it's a spiritual matter. And some of our blessings are physical, and some are spiritual. And in the particular one about healing, I'd like to discuss this afternoon, it's physical, but it certainly has spiritual overtones, spiritual pieces to it. Healing is one of the great benefits that God gives to us as his people. The promise to be our healer. So in the sermon this afternoon, I would want to discuss and just review the subject of healing. What is healing? What does it mean to be healed? What makes it possible for us to be healed? Are there conditions? Are there prerequisites in order for us to be healed? How's it accomplished? And is it all that important? Is it important a part of the work, part of Christianity? And these are things we'll look at as we go through the sermon. So 
Let's answer the first question first. What is healing? What does it mean? Well, the, the dictionary definition is to cause a wound, an injury, or a person who's ill to become sound or healthy again. It's, just, it's all just a physical matter or to cure an illness. But for us, it has a much broader and a much richer and deeper meaning. The biblical version, I wrote out that healing is God's direct intervention in our well-being, in our health, in a miraculous way. I hope all of us realize that when we ask for anointing and we ask for God to heal us, we are asking for a miracle. We're asking for God to change something as it presently exists in our bodies to a different status. Something that isn't working the way he designed it to where it does work the way he designed it. We're asking for God to perform a miracle in our lives. He tells us back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, just, just put it in your notes. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, among other things where he claims, he says, I am God, and there is no other. He then points out, I wound. That means sometimes he does punish. And there are nations, there are people, there are individuals that God did wound, did punish. But he also says there, I heal. God is our healer. We can do things, take care of ourselves, but God is our healer. When something in our bodies is not working as it should. Come to the Old Testament examples. Now I'll just refer to them in terms of, because these are familiar examples that uh, in the Old Testament we find very specific accounts where God miraculously intervened to change someone's body how it, and how it was functioning and what was, in case, what was wrong with it. Back in Numbers chapter 12, you can write just and put in the notes. Numbers 12, verses 10 and 13, gives us the account of those two particular verses, especially where after Miriam and Aaron had, had uh, complained about Moses being over them, that Miriam was turned leprous. And then we find the example in, in, in verse 13 where Moses prayed and asked God to heal her, now, now God did intervene. He changed, he took away the leprosy. She had to do something for seven days, go outside the camp. But God intervened in that particular case and took away the wound, the curse as it was, if you were, if you were to uh, make her a leper. We also find then in Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, we find the account there of Naaman coming to Elisha to be healed. He's, Elisha is known as someone that could provide that. So he goes, and you have the account there where Elisha tells him to go dip himself seven times in the River Jordan, and his leprosy goes away. He complained about the methodology at first, but was convinced, hey, it's uh, 
why not try it? Uh, this man is a man of God, and if you read the account, it says there that after he does exactly what Elisha has told him to do, the leprosy goes away and he comes back and he says, I now know that you're a servant of God. Back in 1 Kings chapter 17, we find the account of Elijah where he's told to go and he's dwelling with a widow. It's verses 17 through 24, 1 Kings 17, verses 17 through 24. He's staying with a widow, and while he's staying with her and doing his work, traveling, that her son dies. And she complains, of course, why would he allow that to happen or what, uh, why did it have to happen? And Elijah is used and prays, and God intervenes and actually restores the life of the young man, young boy. So God clearly has the power to do that. In both of those cases, or actually all three of them, that you find Moses praying for his sister. You find Elisha being used to explain to Naaman how the healing could and would take place. And, of course, you have Elijah being used of God to restore the life of the young boy. All three of those show us something that is vital for us to understand, that God does work through human beings. He works through his chosen servants in order to fulfill his work. Now, does that preclude that God is able to do things independent of men? Of course not. God can do in serving and, and say, or blessing and intervening in people's lives. He can, he can do that without men, without human servants, but... By and large, within what we know to be the sphere of God, the church, that God works through his servants. And he has done that not only in the New Testament, but he has done that clearly through the times of the Old Testament. He worked through Moses. He worked through Samuel in doing his work. Uh, he worked through David and he's in the prophets as well. So what about the New Testament? We find examples of just how important it is. So let's, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 4. In some of these accounts, I'll spend a little more time in discussing, but also want to make sure I allow time to just talk about some of the logistics, uh, if you will, the, the ways we go about asking for anointing and the way we ask God to intervene in our lives on a physical and healing basis. But in Matthew chapter 4, in verses 17 through 24, or yeah, 17 through 24, and this is just after Christ has been tempted by Satan, and he has qualified to replace Satan at this point. He's resisted all those temptations, and he goes about fulfilling and carrying out his ministry. In verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you find then in verses 18 uh, down through uh, 21, he goes out and calls several of his disciples. Verse 22 as well. So in verse 23, it says, Jesus then went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness, and all kinds of disease among the people. 
Then his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, no numbers are ever given as we go through these scriptures, and there are several of them that we'll go through here. But clearly the story relates, the story is related that to this, that Christ healed many, many people of many different kinds of diseases. And over and over again, it talks about also casting out demons. That the influence, the example he set, the influence he had over the people that uh, with whom he came in contact had to be somewhat just overwhelming for human beings to see that kind of power displayed time and time again. And one of the reasons, of course, that this occurred is that Christ was establishing who he was. He taught that he was the Son of God. And he backed it up, but God, the Father backed it up by the things that he was able to do, as well as the things he was able to teach. And he tells people then to, points out, to repent. He begins preaching about serving God by obeying God's commandments and also by carrying out this great care for his people. And we, we read then that he, he is going out, he's teaching. Uh, verse 23, he goes into the, the synagogues and various places throughout Galilee. And everywhere he goes, he heals. He performs miracles. He changes people's lives physically and spiritually through his teaching. Let's turn over to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 18. And here he's speaking, and there's breaking the middle of the story. But while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So what Christ was able to do and had done obviously influenced people to think, well, when I have a problem, when I have a serious illness, I can go to Jesus Christ. So we pick it up in in verse 23. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. When the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. So he goes in, and actually someone has died, brings her back to life, and shows that the kind of power he had, not only to perform miracles where people, their diseases went away, but he could actually restore life to someone. Verse 35 an important part of the ministry, how, how, how relevant is it to what God is doing with mankind? Verse 35, Christ continues this, And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Whatever the complaints were, whatever the physical realities were for dozens and dozens Hundreds of people in time, maybe thousands of people, that Christ was there intervening 
in order to show who he was, as well as clearly a matter of compassion on many people. Uh, people that were not being called at that time, maybe do not understand all the things that you and I understand today. But because they were his people, they were his creation, God had a great deal, Jesus Christ had a great deal of compassion on them. Over in Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 6, so Christ had that responsibility and performed that duty. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, we find the account where he now gives that power to his servants at that time. And talking about the disciples, in verse 7 of Mark 6, And he called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now remember, at this point, this juncture, they're disciples. They're not apostles. This is long before the day of Pentecost. But because Christ was God in the flesh, and he certainly had the, the right and the ability to give this kind of power to his servants. In verse 12, it says, And so they went out, and they preached the people should repent. They have learned, they've been following the example and the uh, works of Jesus Christ, and they know their job is to go out and do the same things that Christ himself had been doing. So they went out and preached that people should repent. Verse 13, And they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick. That's the, at least in this account we're going through today, that's the first time the oil is mentioned. But they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, when that phrase there says, and they healed them, we understand that that wasn't literally them. The disciples were not healing the people. But they were instruments through whom God was working, and God healed them. God is our healer. He says he is the one who heals, and there is no other. There is no other God who can do the things that our great creator can do. And these accounts show us that doing, the preaching the gospel, doing the work, that also that there is a part of that that says that we have access to being healed. Now, I realize that today we don't do things quite the same way. We don't go around preaching the gospel in synagogues or churches and, and buildings and having healing ceremonies. Maybe that power will come at the right time, the right way, toward before the end of the age. We'll see. But it does show that the healing part of it is an important part of God's work. It's an important part of our lives to know that you and I can go to God and ask him to intervene whenever we have physical ailments of one sort or another. And it says there he healed every disease. It doesn't matter what it is. As we all know, there isn't anything that God can't do. So is there any part of his creation in the bodies that we have? Is there anything he can't fix? Of course not. God can take care of all of these things that befall us if it's part of his plan and part of his will. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But again, this this was done especially at that time in that way because it was to it was proof positive that Jesus Christ was, in fact, the Son of God. 
It was to attest to his divinity that he was there to serve and become the Messiah and show his identity, but also, again, it was an opportunity for him to show the great compassion that he had on the masses. These were individuals, perhaps, just perhaps, some few of them might have been the ones calling for his crucifixion two or three years later. We don't know. But God intervened, Christ intervened, and took care of them. Great power was displayed. And when we read those accounts, hopefully, brethren, that gives us the confidence and the full awareness of the kind of power we're asking God to exert in our lives whenever we ask to be anointed. When we pray for his intervention directly in our lives and to heal us. So what makes it possible? What makes healing possible? How does this, uh, how does it, how does it work, if you will? Now, again, going back to the, just noting what it says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, is that it is God who heals. That's the first thing we often, we always have to remember that human beings are instruments. We are avenues, if you will, or venues through whom God can work. But it is God who heals. So let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I realize these are familiar scriptures, but they're there in the sermon on purpose because we need to understand some of these things. Uh, Hopefully a good reminder of just the kind of detail that God gives us here. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So, reminder that Christ was perfect in every way. He didn't commit any sins. He didn't even say anything wrong. Now, maybe if we think about that for a moment, that might sink in a bit. So we know what the scripture tells us, that the tongue is a world of evil. And that Christ never said one thing wrong. Never had deceit in his mouth. Then in verse 23, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Christ realized that he would be in the right time, in the right way, that the Father would hold those accountable. And that Christ himself would be involved in that judgment when the time comes. But that was not the time. And he did not respond in like to any of those that were critical of him, condemned him, even sought to kill him, and eventually did. It says in verse 24, though, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. We know that Christ shed his blood in our behalf. That's how we have access to forgiveness of our sins and access to salvation eventually. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Then he adds here, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, there are those who read this and think that that particular phrase points to the physical suffering of Christ was part of the forgiveness of our sins. And that is, that's valid. 
Christ's was, sacrifice was a complete and whole sacrifice. But it was far more than that. It wasn't just a matter of being a, a, a savior when he was, went through the kind of punishment he went through. It also tells us very clearly by whose stripes you were healed. And that points to being actually healed physically. So let's, let's turn back to what it's been quoted here in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, we'll read verses 3 through 5. And we know this is a prophecy directly about Jesus Christ. And not just with its pretty, pretty common knowledge, the way the account is written and what, how it's referenced in the New Testament. But in verse 3, it says, He, referring to what would become Christ, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We are healed. So these the words here in, in the uh, in the New King James English talks about sorrows, talks about grief, and the margin shows that these uh, words are can be alternately translated as sicknesses and pains, things that were physical afflictions. These sicknesses are can be removed from us by it tells us here in verse five. And by his stripes we are healed, pointing out that the physical suffering that Christ endured, far more than you and I can understand, frankly, when the Bible tells us that he was marred more than any man, exactly how deep those words were and how how much affliction Christ went through, we can try to imagine it, but since he was marred more than any man and obviously greatly afflicted, but by that physical torture by the agony, the pains that he went through, that he was becoming, if you will, the the avenue by which you and I have access to having our illnesses, our wounds, our injuries removed, taken away. You know, there are things that go wrong in our body. I think God designed our bodies to where with proper rest and proper care and doing things the way we should do them, that we get better. Things just, uh, the illness can go away sometimes. In fact, you and I, on occasion, have, like I said, didn't feel good. We don't feel good. We don't call an elder to be anointed. We wait. We wait. Think, you know, see, see how sick we need to be. We have our own, maybe each one of us has their own bar. We have, how sick do we have to be before we call to be anointed? And where that is, that, that threshold is not a topic of the sermon. <laughs> it varies, but uh, with any, any one of us. However, whatever is wrong, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ clearly was great enough to make it possible for hundreds here, 
read the account of what he went, what he did when he, in his ministry. Hundreds and thousands, people being healed miraculously. And down through the ages since, two millennia of the church, that God has healed. If we have 200 people or so here, 225, and we were to count how many times any one of us has been healed, it would add up to thousands, I'm sure. Maybe each one of us can know and look back and say, maybe even for one of us, dozens and dozens of times if we've been around and doing this long enough. But Christ's sacrifice, his physical sacrifice, was sufficient to make healing available to those to whom he was doing, that sacrifice was going to be applied. Well, again, there are those who are not quite so dogmatic about the stripes of Christ being uh, there for us to be healed. But let's turn over to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Verses 16 and 17. And here we find, I think, definitive wording and confirmation that we are have access to healing because of the suffering that Christ endured. Verse 16, in the middle of the account, And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, just his his power. He had clear authority over all demons, and he healed all who were sick. So sometimes the sicknesses were due to demonic possession, and other times it was just physical, but they healed, he healed them regardless. Verse 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, which we just read, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So the the physical sacrifice of Christ is the means by which we have access to healing. You and I rehearse this every year at Passover. Every year. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. To be reminded. That when we ask to be anointed. When we ask God to heal us. We are availing ourselves. And asking God to apply this sacrifice. In our behalf. Again, to do something miraculous. You know, some, uh, sometimes I think, and evaluating even my own life, it, how casual is it that one can be in being anointed and not thinking about what it says right here in verses 23 and 24. Paul writes, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, and this is what I've already taught you, what I explained, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
As I said earlier, yes, that broken body was part of the total sacrifice of Christ. But every time you and I ask God to heal us, we are asking him to take that physical sacrifice that Christ made and apply it to our well-being. We're asking him to just please honor that sacrifice that Christ made in my behalf. It's a very sobering thing for us to do that, frankly. And again, when it's when the Bible terms it one of their benefits, that uh, one of the great blessings you and I have access to receive. Hopefully, those we're not those things are not lost on us. Just how terrific God planned all of this, because in, in designing our bodies, designing how we function, knowing that sooner or later we would break something. We would do something to cause illness or we'd have injury. We get careless. We don't get enough sleep. Uh, we Maybe we eat the wrong foods or we eat too much of the right foods. Any number of reasons why we have our physical afflictions. And some things after all these years and these millennia since Adam and Eve, things about our bodies just aren't the way they weigh. It's not the way he created Adam and Eve. Things are different. And our bodies don't function as well. And we inherit problems one way or the other. But God says he will take care of those things. He will intervene for us as we turn to him. So are there conditions, are there prerequisites for God to do that? For God to apply the stripes of Christ in our behalf? Well, we read here in verse Corinthians chapter 11, two verses. But let's notice here in verse Verses 28 through 30, and I made some reference to it uh, going through verses 23 and 24. But tells us here that we are, in verse 28, we are supposed to examine ourselves. Let a man examine himself. Now, this is about Passover in general, but let's think about this specifically in terms of healing. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup as we take that bread at Passover, examining ourselves. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So we have to make sure that we are examining ourselves even when we ask to be anointed. It's worth taking time to reflect on these things. And when we don't do that, and certainly in the case of Corinth, there were, a, there were quite a number of problems in Corinth, very serious problems within the church there. And he says here in verse 30, for this reason, because they didn't always discern what the sacrifice of Christ meant, not only the shed blood, but also the broken body represented by the bread. For this reason, many are weak and, and sick among you, and many sleep, many have died. So out of those individuals in the Corinthian church, good many had died because they didn't discern this properly. You and I are taught to discern these things correctly, thoroughly, carefully, and confident that most of us do recognize the sobriety or the soberness of that, that we do these things very carefully. In Matthew chapter 9, and looking at what are the requirements 
Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 29. We were here a moment ago on another matter, but another example. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. When he had come into the house where he was going, the blind men came to him. So they followed him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. So he would, we can see here clearly that faith is a prerequisite. It's a requirement for you and I to be healed when we ask to be anointed. We want to come to God in faith. And I, I have, I have no doubt that there's anybody in here who doubts that God can do that. God can heal. He can take away minor afflictions and he can take away deadly afflictions. Many of us have experienced that in, in, in our lives, in our families. It doesn't matter what it is. He can do that. But he, in this point of being blind and hearing the stories that had been related about Christ, they asked, can you do that for us? And the point was, have mercy on us. Show your compassion. Show your love for, without them knowing it, their, you know, his creation. And he said, according to your faith, do you believe? And as we ask for God to intervene, we have to ask ourselves the same thing. Are we confident that God can do this in his own time, in his own way? Now, I dare say that when any one of us in here wants to be anointed and we want God to heal us, we want it now. We want God to intervene as soon as possible, you know, in a matter of seconds. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it happens. I'll give an example a bit later that, uh, why those things happen maybe the way, the way they do. But it's a matter of believing and having the faith that God can do that. In Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. In verse 21, we have here the example of the Canaanite woman. But in verse 21, And then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So she's asking for Christ to cast this demon out. Now, there's uh, we understand there's a uh, there's a reason here where uh, Christ does not immediately intervene because he goes to he sent to Israel. He says here in verse 24 that I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and she came and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, help me." In verse 25, but he answered and said, "It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs." That's a 
rather strong statement. I'm inferring that, you know, why would I do take something that's intended for the chosen people here, the Jews, and give it to the dogs? And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She wasn't offended by what Christ said. She was humbled by what Christ said. And turned that, if you will, into her response. That, yes, it's not the way it normally works. You're, you're the Lord, have mercy on me. That may not be how it usually works. But please, understand how desperately we, this request is made and how much it's needed. So she's very humbled by it. And then Jesus entered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. There's no reason for us to think that she understood all of the things that go into being a Christian. She simply wanted the one who could to take the demon out of her child. And she was desperate. But she also had the faith to make that miraculous thing could could happen and Christ could do it. Uh, Pretty amazing story, frankly be embarrassing, to be sort of rejected initially, and yet because she believed he could do it, recognized him and said, Lord, then Christ said, great is your faith. So I'll go outside the norm. I'll go outside to what's the, the, main, the main structure of my mission. Now, have you ever wondered whether or not God heals those who aren't in his church when people pray. There are people who, not only today, but in the years past and worldwide, and we, I know I worked in mail reading, and there were individuals who called, who would write in letters and ask to be anointed. And as we'll see in a few minutes, you know, about anointing cloths, anointing cloth was sent. Many of those people, I'm sure, never came into the church. God didn't call them directly. But we also know from accounts of people responding that people were healed because they had the faith and God chose to express that same kind of compassion and mercy on those individuals that Christ displayed during his ministry. So he went outside the norm. and The matter of faith is very, very important. Then back in chapter 9 of Matthew Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 to begin here. Just Well, verses 1, 2, 1 and 2, and 7. So to referring to Christ, so he got into a boat, crossed over, came to his own city, and behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Verse 7. Points out here. And he arose and departed to go to his house. So sometimes our physical ailments are because of sin. Some spiritual. Some Physical, 
things that we do that are not appropriate for maintaining good health. And Christ said that you can be forgiven of sin, and when that sin, those sins are forgiven, you're healed. The penalty of whatever you've done goes away. If any one of us has done something wrong and it's resulted in a, an ailment, some sort of sickness, some sort of injury, then we can be forgiven of that, and that's the vehicle by which we're healed. Again, assuming we have faith, because faith comes in the, into it as well. So faith is required, and in case of sins involved, we have to be repentant, and we can be forgiven. Let's turn over to James chapter 5. This scripture that we've read and practiced many, many, many times. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And again, where this threshold of illness or pain or injury is that and since us to ask to be anointed, it varies. He says here in verse 13, If anyone among you suffer, is suffering, or is anyone among you suffering, then let him pray. There are things in our lives that we need to change that are just matters of the Christian life and difficulties and challenges. We pray about those. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. In verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. A lot of things, a lot of, a lot of important information in those three verses. It tells us if we're sick, to call for a minister to be anointed. And... It ought to be, frankly, the first thing we do. We're sick. What's the reaction? We call to be anointed. We ask God to intervene officially. Formally, we ask to make the request that he would heal us. Again, the first thing that we should do. And it mentions here that, that we are anointed with oil. And it's in the name of Christ. It's in the name by the authority of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not the man. It's anointing with oil. It's not the oil. Oil is just a symbol. It's a vehicle. The man is just an instrument. The hand's really not special. My hands, any minister's hands are just human hands. But it's hands that God uses. But they are hands, I should say, hands that God uses. And so it's a matter of the request. And it tells us here then, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. That we come to you, in, to God, in faith. It's your faith, my faith, and the faith of the anointing minister or ministers, elders. You know, if there's more than one, that's good. But it's the faith of the individual being anointed, as well as the faith of the ministers who are doing the anointing, believing that God can and will intervene in his own time, in his own way. He tells us here again, and if he's committed sins, 
he'll be forgiven. And when he's forgiven, he'll be healed. And so we have to ask ourselves, depending on the circumstances, we have to ask ourselves, why am I sick? What brought this on? How did, how did, how did I end up here, uh, in the bed with fever, hurting, sick? Did I do anything to cause this? And if we examine ourselves carefully, then yes, we should go to God in our own minds, our own lives, and repent accordingly. And if there's sin, we can repent, and that's a, that's a part of being healed. So if we're sick, we should call for anointing. And if medical treatment is needed, and that may be obvious, and this is not a a sermon about, you know, against medicine or against doctors. It's about finding the right balance on these matters. We'll discuss a little bit in just a moment. But if medical treatment is needed, do that after (laughs) we ask for anointing. You know, it doesn't matter how quickly you're anointed. We know that. Hopefully we know that. Ask. And then if you need, if it's really urgent, you go seek medical care, what's appropriate. Because you made the request. God doesn't need the oil to work. He doesn't need my hands or any minister's hands in order for the healing to happen. What he wants to know is whether or not we're willing to put our lives, our physical well-being in his hands, and then everything else that happens, we know that God is in charge. You know, if it's an emergency, it really is an emergency. Uh, some of us have that. You know, we get in a car accident. Uh, you have broken, <laughs> broken bones, broken body, that you need medical attention immediately. Then we'd ask for anointing as soon as that's feasible and as soon as that's possible. One of the things I would, I would like to mention, uh, that, well, just in general, that, point out here is don't we should never leave God out of the picture that's a phrase that Mr. Meredith uses in writing the book that I'm going to refer to in a minute but does God heal today to never leave God out of the picture he is the one who can intervene regardless of the problem but but we get requests you're talking about uh, being anointed uh, we do get requests for what I will call congregational prayer. And the request comes in, could you ask the congregation to pray about something, whatever that ailment is? Now, I, at least, at least in, from my personal experience, I would know at that point, they didn't ask me about anointing. But they want the congregation to pray about it. And for what it's worth, brethren, and this is, I don't, I'm not the only minister here, but would, would say this. We should ask God first. God is the one who heals. And we should go to each Him personally and ask to be anointed. And then, depending on the nature and how serious the matter is, then we can ask the congregation to pray about it. And I've discussed that and said, well, would you like to be anointed? And sometimes the question is, oh, oh, yes. That was not the first reaction was to be anointed. The first reaction was, let's just ask anybody to pray about it. Nothing wrong with asking the congregation to pray about it. But we ask God first. And then, depending on the seriousness of the situation, we ask the congregation to pray. Not everything, frankly, is of 
great magnitude or great big enough issue to ask the whole congregation to pray about it. And that's left up to the individual. We can discuss that, but that's uh, we all know when things are really serious uh, or when I just have a stomach ache. Uh, it's at different levels. But we should ask God first. Uh, where else might we ask people to pray about it? Oh, by the way, just an aside, not relevant, not germane to the, is, uh, I'm glad Mr. DeSimone didn't ask how many of you know what TikTok is. <laughs> I've heard of it, <laughs> but, but, uh, a piece of social media. But where might we go to ask people to pray about something? If things get on Facebook first. Things get on Instagram first. Yeah, be God first. We should be asking God. And then we post something. The first reaction we should have when we're sick is to ask God to take care of us. Put it, put Him there in the picture first and foremost. We have an example, and I won't turn there, but I will refer to it. Mr. Merrick refers to this in the booklet about what happens if you if we leave God out of the picture. An example back in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12. It's about Asa. He did not consult with God. He consulted with the physicians. And he ended up dying. Now, just an example of just how important it is to put God in our life. It wasn't, he never, apparently he never went to God. He went only to the physicians and certainly going and seeking the appropriate medical attention is, is something we ought to do, but we all have these things in the right perspective and doing them the right way. So let's review for a moment. Let's turn back to the book of Acts in chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. One of the one of these items that uh, Christ used Paul to explain a little bit of truth that uh, apparently wasn't known prior to this. Acts chapter nineteen verses eleven and twelve, and all of us are. Glad, happy about this because God uh, showed us something here about being anointed and how this can work. And when the minister is not real handy, then uh, there is an alternative. Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Again, we're asking God to perform a miracle. And one way that Paul did this Exercise that response, that that, uh, that duty, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And we use these scriptures to as scriptural backup for why we use anointed cloths. And it's we have to it doesn't say here that he anointed it with oil. But we read about what it says in James, being anointed with the oil. So the church practices a little, a little 
square of cloth with a dab of oil and we put it in a, an envelope with a letter of instructions on how that can be used. And we send that to those that we cannot get there to anoint. But what I would like to just point out is the uh, matters surrounding how we use anointing cloths appropriately. It's not uncommon. In fact, I would say sometimes it's a, it's a majority of the requests. Is the call comes in and says, could you send me an anointing cloth? Well, but why? <laughs> well, I'm sick or whatever, but can you send me a cloth? Didn't really ask the minister, didn't ask me for anointing. And we should, that's what we should do. You and I, if we're sick, we need to ask to be anointed. And then let the decision whether or not the cloth is appropriate, leave that up to the minister. Say, I'm sick, I need to be anointed. Can you anoint me? And if I can't, then uh, maybe Mr. Elliot's available. <laughs> but we have a whole slew of ministers here that, in a, in out, in a, in out in the field elsewhere, that we don't have that luxury. But if one of us is sick, there's a reasonable chance. And for what it's worth... Mr. Weston has even offered, and he said, look, you know, if there's someone, you know, you, you need to, uh, someone you anointed, and I'm pretty close, call me. Uh, said, All of us are available for anointing. And if I'm not, Mr. Elliott's not, hopefully one of the other elders is. Yesterday afternoon, I had the privilege of asking one of the other elders to go. When I was working on the sermon, uh, I asked another elder, would he go take care of an anointing? And he did. And as opposed to sending, sending out a cloth. So we should ask for the anointing and let the minister decide whether or not the anointing cloth is the appropriate thing to do. If we can't get there and there's no one available, then certainly that's what we would do. On occasion, I've gotten requests for an anointing cloth. Uh, now I don't, I'm not, and I'm not imputing anything uh, wrong here, but, uh, it's like, give me, send me a cloth, uh, I can use for anointing. We don't anoint ourselves. We, we, the minister anoints the cloth, prays over the cloth. We actually hold the cloth, we put our hand, it's, we lay our hands on the cloth and ask God to honor that method, honor and take and apply the stripes of Jesus Christ and intervene for the person in question. But we don't take a cloth and then sort of anoint ourselves. It's an anointed cloth. It's already been anointed by, by the minister. Uh, I've been requested, I've, I've had requests for a uh, situation where I'm, 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 I have surgery on Monday. Pick a date. I'm going to have surgery on so-and-so. Uh, I'd like to be anointed. Uh, what? Uh, what's, what do you want to be anointed for? What's the, what? Well, I'm, I'm having surgery. Well, brethren, we don't anoint for surgery. <laughs> we anoint an individual, God tells us, for healing. Now, in terms of someone going into surgery, obviously we want to pray about that. We pray, want to pray that God will guide that whole process. But the anointing, we don't anoint the doctor to have his hands work just right. Anointing is for healing. Now, we can anoint you before the surgery. We're going to anoint you after the surgery and ask God to take care of whatever is wrong that do for us individually only what God can do. 
do for us what the doctor can't do. So that we honor and apply the stripes of Jesus Christ appropriately. Just a matter of a, of a mindset that we understand the, the surgery may be absolutely necessary, but we want God to heal us as well, intervene and do the things for us that a man can't do. And clearly with modern technology and, and modern science that the medical world can do many, many things for our benefit. And it's certainly okay to pursue those things, but we should also make sure we're doing it in the right way at the right time. The question comes up about multiple anointings. How many times can I be anointed? Uh, why can I only be anointed three times? If Paul, Paul had th- three occasions where he went to Christ to be healed and Christ said no. Is that some sort of absolute maximum? Not that I know of. So we have multiple anointings. What, when do we get anointed the second or third or fourth time? Things that we can consider. I just pointed this out that sometimes God doesn't heal immediately. And our illnesses go on for extended periods of time. And if one of us wants to be anointed over time as a reaffirmation of their faith, then fine. We're glad to anoint. It's appropriate. Uh, what if the symptoms change? What if other things uh, come out? Well, what must be anointed for those things as well? Then, yes, uh, we could be anointed for that as well. Sometimes the matters just get worse. And uh, we want God to intervene. We ask again. That's okay. Sometimes just a matter of relieving pain. If God's not going to take away the whole disease... For now, for whatever reason, can we just please be anointed to give me some relief from the pain? Absolutely. Uh, many years ago, uh, goes back to Houston, 1972-73, there was a lady in the church who had, had breast cancer. And on brief time I was there, only a year, but in the time I was there with her, I... I had multiple calls from her, sometimes at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, asking to be prayed for, asking God to intervene. And all she wanted was relief from the pain. She didn't ask to be anointed every time. She just wanted me to pray. She would call one of the other elders on occasion, but just call and ask for prayer. We do that. And I think most of us ministers keep our phones by the by the bed, uh, I normally have the luxury of being able to go back to sleep. If I get, if I get awakened in, in the middle of the night, doesn't matter. We're certainly available to do that. And it's maybe a multiple anointings. And sometimes, as I said, just calling the minister and asking for prayer. That's the appropriate thing to do as well as your personal, your personal friends and your family to intervene. Another, another area sometimes we get congregational or request for congregational prayer for relatives. And it's just a matter of practice. And this, uh, uh, I've reviewed this and discussed this with those over me. And, uh, but anyway, what about praying for our relatives? Because if we go with ex- all of our relatives, you can talk about a lot of people, and these are people that we simply don't know. So we would ask for uh, I would ask for the request for congregational prayers for relatives. We would limit that to immediate family. 
And it's your children, your parents, uh, your, your brothers, your sisters, whatever. That's, uh, that's appropriate. We understand that because you are that person. You're really very close to them. And you're really asking God to intervene in that person's life and, and, and well-being in behalf of someone who is in the church. I pray about it. You, that you do this in behalf of Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so who is your servant. And for their blessing, for their, their benefit, would you intervene for one of their, one of their family? So, uh, it's certainly free to ask other brethren personally to pray for other, other extended relatives, whatever the case might be. But for congregational prayer, we would ask to limit that to the immediate family. And then point out that God, come down to the point that God does not promise exactly when or how he's going to heal us. Sometimes he intervenes quickly. Sometimes immediately. I'm sure that most of us ministers have experienced where literally before we got up off of our knees, the pain is gone and it doesn't come back. I remember one of the, one of the first anointings I had after I was ordained an elder that it was a new, a new couple. And that is frequently the case that people are new into faith that God intervenes very quickly for them in a powerful way because he builds their faith. They feel strongly about the fact that I'm in the right place. I'm serving God, and these these good things happen because because of this. So that sometimes happens quickly, and it is a faith building occurrence when that happens. Sometimes the answer is not yet. We have to wait. Wait a while. Sometimes we have to wait a long time. God just says not yet. Depending on the seriousness of it, it might be a real trial. It might be not so serious. Uh, example that, that uh, someone in the family that uh, was anointed to have a wart go away and didn't go away. Didn't go away for a year or two. And as the story goes, I understand it. The uh, the person just prays, well, "Father, I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm still waiting." And the next morning, the wart was gone. <laughs> but, you know, similar stories, I'm sure some of you would, could relate. Just takes that going to God and waiting, and that's one of the things, situations where we build patience and where we build what we call patient endurance, waiting for God to intervene. And sometimes it doesn't come right away. And as in Paul's example, sometimes the answer is no. Not yet, not in this life. God will give us a spiritual body and all these physical things, their problems and issues and sicknesses will go away. All the scars of humanity, of our humanness, will be gone. We all want it to happen sooner than that. But the reality is that God does not heal everything every time. Because all of us at some point were appointed to die. God doesn't heal everything. And he doesn't, if we're, if we're sick, if we've abused our bodies for a long time, uh, he doesn't give us new bodies, does he? We have to sometimes live with the consequences of what we've done amiss in our lives physically. Well, what, what can we do besides be anointed? Old Daddy says prevention is the best cure. 
So I would close toward the closing of this, encourage you to think about that, to take care of our health. Do those things we know are beneficial for our physical well-being. It's never too late to start good habits. Never too late to start good habits that are going to be good for our physical well-being. Avoid making problems worse by adding new problems. So some of the things that are mentioned, I would encourage you to go back and look up and read Mr. Meredith's article from years ago on the seven laws of radiant health. Some of the things that are mentioned in that, in that article talks about a good, balanced diet, which natural foods, fresh foods that are the best source of the vitamins that you and I need to maintain our body's functions. Exercise on a regular basis. Very, sometimes in this rapid-paced society, finding time to regularly exercise is difficult. But exercise is important. Get out, get fresh air, sunshine. You know, Dr. Winnell has mentioned these things on more than one occasion. Practice good hygiene. Make sure we get enough sleep. Make sure we get enough rest. Sometimes, again, that's a challenge. But you and I need and we're encouraged, and God certainly intended for us to get adequate rest. And also when the article talks about maintaining a tranquil and positive mind. And that's a lot of sometimes very disciplined effort to do that. And we can do the things that would strengthen our immune system. Again, Dr. Winnell has referred to this. We have a booklet on, on good health. It talks about getting our vitamins that enhance our immunity to the various diseases that are out there, vitamin A and B and C and I think it's D3 and K2, work in conjunction with one another. And supplements is appropriate. But again, remembering that the good diet is the best way to get the things that our body needs in order to function correctly. So God is willing to forgive us our sins, and if he forgives us our associated sins and heals us by that, he does expect us to change our life and repent and begin to do the things that are that are positive. So in closing, I'd like to turn to just read a couple of things from Dr. Meredith's booklet. He talks about keeping, getting our balance. This is on page 11. There is much doctors, there is much that doctors and dentists can do and often should do for us. In circumstances such as traumatic injury, broken bones, internal bleeding, severe burns, that there are procedures that are necessary and right to be performed. Mankind's best efforts are not all bad and of themselves. Highly trained physicians and other health professionals certainly do help millions of people every day. Let us not forget this fact. That many health care professionals are loving and sincere in their efforts to serve their fellow man. And they certainly ought to be appreciated and commended for, for this. Points out then, he says, however, in modern times, most of society is ignoring God and going to the other extreme. And living and leaving the living God out completely out of that picture. We, not, we do not want to do that. But he points out then, every true Christian needs to get his or her balance on this issue. Over in page 23, he writes, 
Any true Christian will involve God in every area of his or her life, including healing. Any true Christian should cry out to God for healing when he or his child or loved one is sick or afflicted. Then according to individual understanding and individual circumstances, he or she may well decide to involve the help of a doctor or other health professional. Even then, he should fervently ask the very real God to intervene above and beyond what man can do. God is our healer. He's the one who has promised to take care of us and deliver us out of our physical afflictions and to the prompt to the point that Christ was willing to die and suffer. Again, perhaps more than you and I can understand, physically suffer so that we have access to being healed. And he's done that many, many thousands of times. How and when he will do that is according to his wisdom and his will. Let's turn back to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. We'll read verses 12 through 14. Getting back to this item of benefits, one of the great benefits that we have in our calling is that God is our healer. Verse 12, he says, What shall I render to the eternal for all his benefits toward me? What can I do in response to these things that God blesses me in in various ways, and one of which, as I said, is healing? The answer, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Eternal. I'll I'll serve Him, and I will pay my vows to the Eternal. We made a covenant with God. When you and I were baptized, we made this covenant that we would be God's servant for the rest of our lives. We would do our best to adhere to his laws, serve him, serve his work, serve his people. He says, so what can I do to repay God? What can I do in response to God's many benefits, one of which is healing? I'll pay my vows. I'll keep my covenant. I will obey him. Now in the presence of all his people, as we help and encourage one another, we have a chance to do that very thing. So serving God is a way of thanking him for one of the great benefits we have is his promise to be our healer.